Hello and welcome. This time my co-host John Deere and me, Dave Thomas, take a look at Umberto Lenzi's 1969 giallo, Orgasmo, which is called the same thing in Italian because with a title this good, why would you need a different one? Although in English-speaking markets it was known as Paranoia, not to be confused with Umberto Lenzi's 1970 giallo, Paranoia, which in the US was known as A Quiet Place to Kill. It's a whole thing, we'll get into it. Please join us. jet set widow reaches out for thrills at any cost but she discovers paranoia carol baker strips away every inhibition to taste life at its fullest lou castell as peter and colette de Combe as eva promise love no! and deliver paranoia with a naked frankness that will shock you, but hold you hypnotized. Dirty me, dirty me. Paranoia. This time, in the course of our conversation, we discuss gendered violence, alcoholism, and possible incest. Also, fair warning, John and I do completely spoil the twists in the ending of this movie, which are pretty terrific. So if you haven't seen it, I would advise stop listening now, go and watch the movie, and then come back. Okay, so it's called Orgasmo. It is. Now, um, that gave me certain expectations. Not least of which the, um, I think it was uh, about the 1997 um, Trey Parker and Matt Stone film, Orgasmo. <laughs> oh, might yes. Have, might have been a remake. Um, I seem to remember there was something about, uh, I catch it up, it was something about, it was a yeah, sex comedy with a, with a Mormon. Um yeah, it's a Mormon porn star superhero, so there isn't right, much connected right, yeah. tissue. Yeah. In, anyway, that's that. That's what first came to mind. Rather than, well, we say it's a giallo. It's not a giallo. This film is it. You think not? Okay. Oh, you're the you're you're the expert. But the first thing that there's there's no real stabby deaths. There's not a really strong uh, like lighting aesthetic. Uh, that I've come to associate uh, with 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 Jello. This is a this is a psychological horror. Um, but you can talk me Fair. through maybe as the reason why it's classified um, as a shallow. But the important thing first of all is why the hell is it called Orgasmo? I mean the the title of it. Oh, sorry the um, the the poster shows Carol Baker um, bound to a bed. Mm. Uh, and 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 gagged, which has certain sexual connotations, but that's not that's not there at all. No one's no one's playing you know BDSM games here. That she's tied up, so she won't so she won't run away or cry out. Uh, mm. That's as we as 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 we learn. And while there is a strong sexual element to this, that's not really what the story is about. And frankly, I've seen more gratuitous sex in previous shallows than than I have with this. And even mm. the you know even the the prospect of you know. Two two female characters letting up the way through it for obvious titillation is largely a, is largely a tease uh, because that's not what the film's about. Mm. Um, so I find it interesting that it's it sort of it sort of trades on on the sort of risque element of what you of what you might see. Um, and at the start, I was thinking this is this is a bit weak and a bit slow. Um, but by about halfway through, I was hooked, and by the end, I was really impressed. Mm. Um, and it layers very very well and it's gentle and it's unhurried um but where does this title come from that is a great question uh the mind of umberto lenzi i guess um because it's not even really a word is it orgasmo i don't know think it's yeah um but it does bring to mind orgasm it does yeah and and i think that ties into so there are a number of things happening in the film, but one of them is that the lead female, the protagonist, I, I guess, um, yeah, I guess, let's call her the protagonist, is sort of undone. As in Carol Baker, Catherine. 
Carol Baker's character, Catherine, yeah, yeah. is yeah. somewhat undone by her kind of middle-aged sexual awakening, which I assume involves orgasms. Um, it's the the suggestion is certainly there, but yeah, but Lindsay had a funny. Well, I mean, we'll talk about Lindsay, but he had a bit of an odd penchant for for slightly odd titles. I mean, he he made another Jello some years after this, which it, it does not have Carol Baker in it, and and is um, sort of a slightly different beast. But it's called Spasmo, uh, which, wow. which for that's, that's that's a bit more of a hard sell as a title. Yeah, which for you and I and other. Brits of a certain yeah. age is a very unpleasant Ooh. playground insult, Indeed, um, yes. which which I presume was uh, has hopefully now very much gone out of fashion. Um, I think it's the only thing that when I was uh, in junior school was the only insult in the playground that was ever officially banned by the school and with good reason because it has very unpleasant connotations. But then, then again, I'm pretty sure that's not what Lindsay was going for. I think he just thought spasm and put an O on the end because he thought orgasm and put an O on the end, which clearly was a theme. Hello, listeners. Future Dave here. So what us two culturally insensitive idiots didn't stop to consider for a moment was that orgasmo is just the Italian word for orgasm, and spasmo is just the Italian word for spasm. So our sincere apologies to Italy as a whole, and Umberto Lindsay specifically, and now back to the conversation. Hey, I mean, his Jallos are a slightly complex title-wise because this was released in the US as Paranoia. Uh, a couple of years after this, he made another Jallo with Carol Baker, which in, a, in the Italian version is called Paranoia, and in the US came out as A Quiet Place to Kill. And then the year after this, he made another jello which sort of mirrors the plot of this one but from the point of view of the couple who do the home invasion which we'll kind of come to when we talk about the plot and he called that an ideal place to kill so it's all quite confusing but yes the title doesn't really do it any favors no and in the u.s it was released as paranoia you can't blame yeah. them for that for once before we go any further do we want to do a quick quick summary of the plot yeah for sure the story opens with um carol baker plays um a wealthy widow uh arriving off a plane after the sudden death of her husband we learn he's he's died in a in a car crash and she's come on holiday mm-hmm. i assume she's meant to be american um i've watched i watched by the way i watched the italian version so everyone speaks italian uh, including the hilariously handled bar moustache police Scotland Yard policeman at the end. Yes, indeed. Uh, which is I find killingly funny. But anyway, America, like basically you know, a very wealthy American, recently widowed uh, woman, uh, goes on holiday to to recuperate uh, following the trauma of her of her husband's death in a car crash, and her lawyer Brian has rented her this rather large Italian villa with a couple of serve with a housekeeper and a gardener. And so she'll find she'll find sort of peace and quiet to be left alone. And she paints, uh, and there's you know, there's 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 room and space. And nice bit of setting up. Uh, this uh, it's not really dwelt on, other than she has a, a briefcase which she wants to hide, which she does uh, in an attic or a disused room. And she gets on the, she gets on with her life uh, there for a, for a, for a couple of days, painting and relaxing and drinking quite a lot of once again the the, the JMB whiskey. Uh, is uh, is much in evidence in a in a, in a Shadow film, and she's drinking quite a lot of whiskey, and then suddenly um, one day an American student, I think he's I think he's again I think he's supposed to be American, uh, called Peter, um, breaks his car down. Well, his car breaks down outside, and um, the housekeeper tells him to sod off, but uh, but Catherine offers him um, offers him sanctuary and place to rest while he tries to fix his while he tries to fix his car and then when it, that doesn't happen he says he'll come back the next day but he, he comes back that night uh, and seduces her quite roughly um but she likes being treated quite roughly and indeed peter seems quite quite a shit but she's quite enamored of basically being roughly treated and poorly treated by by peter and 
there's that there's that slight feeling of um she's sort of asking for it um because her, her we learn her husband was much older than her and basically she's yeah she's gagging for it is the subtext of why she allows this suboptimal behavior uh from peter and they and they row and he comes and they goes and then he follows he she finds out where he's staying and he's you know he's in debt for his rent and uh, he's a you don't really know what he does other than he's a student and he hasn't got any money. So what exactly he's doing with a nice car going around Italy isn't isn't entirely clear. And Catherine doesn't really ask too many questions, but uh, she has him moving. And then his sister turns up, Eva. Um, and his sister, uh, you know, is initially heralds some fun and laughter and there are now... Three, I would say three young people. There are two young people and Catherine, who's meant to be quite a lot older. However, Carol Baker's very good looking, and yes. um, it isn't. It wasn't always apparently obvious. It's meant to be like fifteen, maybe fifteen, twenty years between uh, her character and the other and um, and Peter and Eva's characters. Um, mm. But anyway, uh, when once Eva um, move moves in, the power, there's a power shift. And Catherine begins to lose control of the situation. She begins to drink more. Eva starts to um, administer drugs uh, into her into her alcohol, um, which starts to affect her. They send away uh, the servants, uh, basically have them uh, to them to themselves. Um, her Brian, her, her lawyer, turns up to try and. Uh, to try and help the situation, but they they're wise to it. Oh, I should have said there's also um there's things ongoing with the the will uh, from um from Catherine's husband and her her um you know Catherine's uh, husband's family want um uh, you know there's 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 uh, arguments about the um uh, about you know basically uh, the will as regards property and mm-hmm. si- the old, and, the, and the, the husband and sisters sisters are involved. She trusts the the lawyer a lot. Who gets her to you know? He, she she gets him to sign lots of documents. Um, anyway, as all this goes through, it's clear that they're psychologically destroying Catherine in order basically to kill her and inherit her money. Mm. Uh, and it it also transpires uh, the lawyer is who she thought was her only friend is is in on the act too, mm. and they all conspire one way or another in a slightly convoluted way. It doesn't exactly go to plan, but the bottom line is she eventually dies. They inherit her money, and you think right up until the end, you think they're going to get away with it, mm. uh, and that is quite surprising. But then there's a late twist, and all the business with the the suitcase at the end, at the beginning of the film, sorry, uh, suggests that she was instrumental in the death of her husband. Catherine was instrumental in the death of her husband all, all along, and thus the will is forfeit. Mm. Uh, while that's um, and as her husband died in a car crash. So um, Peter and Eva die in a car crash. I'm not sure in my one viewing whether uh, Brian, as, uh, with the implication that Brian has had the husband killed, whether Brian's fixed the, the, the brakes of um, Peter and Eva's car and they're killed, or it's simply bad luck and he isn't looking when he, as he crashes into a, a, a lorry in Windsor. Oh, interesting. Uh, you see him hit the brake, um, mm. but obviously it's far too late. So it doesn't matter. But I wonder if the implication was... Brian's fixed them anyway, because hmm. that's how he fixes people. However, unbeknownst to him, at least to be coming in, and there's and you've seen a, a man with an orthopedic shoe, sort of hanging around, being very sinister. In one of the few things I thought was, you know, was a nod to 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 shallow. It hmm. turns out he's he's an American private eye, uh, working undercover. Because, oh, sorry, an American. Sorry, he's, I think he's a um, an American FBI agent. Yes. Uh, sorry, work, working undercover because if you do have a field agent, having them have an orthopedic shoe and stand out quite a lot, yeah, very, <laughs> very, 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 very useful. Um, but nevertheless, he's been gathering. He's been gathering information uh, on on the situation, and finally, finally blows the thing open. So. I was very pleasantly surprised, particularly where as where it started. It's very stylish. Uh, it uses music really well. It's really, really interestingly. It's really interestingly shot. Um, uh, it uses, you know, it's uh, the the sun and the condo. It makes much of the. It makes much of the lighting and the weather uh, for to create an idyllic summer summer surrounding. Uh, where you sort of think time is time is infinite, particularly as a child. You, you know, the the one the wonder of a summer when it takes it somewhere very dark. And I loved all that. Um, and I love, 
I love horror that's set in the summer. Uh, as much as I love, you know, gothic, gothic trappings, mm. I love things like uh, John Bowen's The Ice House, or yeah, plenty of the stories of M.R. James are set in the countryside, are set in the height of summer. Mm. Yet there is something lurking. As I said earlier, it's layered really well. Um, there's a number of Chekhov's suitcases, uh, <laughs> Chekhov, Chekhov's photographs, Chekhov's uh, blank contracts uh, that uh, that are just t- t- peppered in, unhurried uh, and unfussed. Uh, that all play their part hmm. um, uh, to a really well-led, uh, to an actually quite tight plot. Hmm. And one of the things that I've noticed as we've been on this journey together is that tight plots are at a premium. Um, <laughs> so I was so Fair. I was genuinely, genuinely, genuinely surprised. So overall, I liked it. I say it took me a while to get into it until I realised what was happening. Hmm. I was like, oh, I can see. Because again, I'm not really used to slow build-up. It's, you know, I've been used to something's going to happen every five to ten minutes to maybe go uh usually a, a woman is problematically killed um and the, yeah but the body count is not high uh yeah. in this um uh because it's far more of a psychological thing. and you know it gets it gets really it, get, it gets really good when no one will believe you but no one will you know um when, when, and when you know the, the 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 killers or the perpetrators or the uh the antagonists are hiding in are hiding in plain sight um but why is it a yellow because i don't see that it is um, well, there's a couple, couple of things I want to circle back to and, and unpick okay. a little bit. But So bear in mind, this is 69. So mm-hmm. this is when the Jallo's still a little bit in flux. So okay. we've had that two uh, Mario Barber kind of templates, and one of them is the much more extreme of the two, Blood and Black Lace, which yes. is the more kind of wildly stylish one, and gets picked up on as the kind of template for the killers going forward, but not really until the next year when Argento does Bird with Crystal Plumage. And it's really that that kind of cements the typical Jello, the sort of early 70s Jello with the, okay. with the you know, mass killer, stabby, problematic female victim nudity, all of that stuff. This At this point, we're still kind of in the phase sometimes referred to as sexy Jello, which is where they're less about the stabby serial killer stuff and more around okay. yeah. the, the almost what is actually if you take jello as the the original meaning of a mystery this is a real you know kind of inverted commas jello in that it's a murder mystery effectively and so and although Lindsay doesn't really admit it ever because Lindsay's a bit of an interesting character you can tell this is really heavily influenced by sweet body of deborah which we covered previously and, and stars carol baker and stars carol baker and was i think mm-hmm. the year yes, before this right uh and that was the film that kind of set Twister. the template <laughs> yes indeed and that was the film that kind of set the template for the next couple of years really until bird with crystal plumage so that there is a subset of jello that is more like this and less like what came subsequently this is the Betamax of Jello. <laughs> Do you, that, that is an um, that is a perfect analogy. It really is. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, the the things that I kind of wanted to to kind of circle back to. So you were talking about the the lawyer, um, and I put a spoiler warning on this because it is a pretty great twist. At the it end, is, when, yes. when she's because if you haven't if you haven't if you haven't watched it, do before you listen to this podcast. When uh, Carol Baker's character Catherine has sort of plunged from the roof of the building trying to escape, mm. but is still alive, yeah. and uh, Brian, dear Brian, um, <laughs> the lawyer, yeah. uh, sort of rocks up, and you think you know he's 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 rumbled the plot, and of course he hasn't mm, rumbled mm. the plot. He's in on the plot and actually finishes her off basically. By throw, by throwing her off something else. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but but what's oh, interesting geez. is is you mentioned it being Brian that had presumably killed her husband. I think it's Catherine yes. that killed her husband. My takeaway has always been that the reason why uh, she has well, the suitcase no, I... full of cash is because she's actually the one who's killed her husband. Sorry, no, I mean her and her and Brian were in on it. Okay, oh, that interesting. Was, that was that was my take. Oh, sorry, yes, oh, sorry. I, I should have. I took it as read. She knew. Um, she was in on her husband's death. I took right. it that she and uh, I had imagined that that she and Brian together um, okay. had arranged yeah, had arranged it. That was that was that that was my takeaway from it. That's why she trusts. That's why she trusts Brian. Trust Brian. Hmm. I yeah, always thought she should have done it alone, and Brian knew about it, but wasn't. They weren't on it together, but that's interesting. Okay, right. I guess it, I think it works either way, actually. Yeah, because th- again, that was my. That's why I wondered when um, 
again, spoilers with because with the when Peter and Eva are killed in the car at the end, I thought that was you know Brian had, might have arranged that as well. He'd, but, you know. he'd off, yeah, because yeah. Eva in uh, Eva the Collector's Gums character who shows up as the sister um, is actually uh, Brian's niece, I think, because they they just mention at the end or possibly only in the English oh, version. Do they? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. Completely. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> or, or I think she calls him like sorry, Uncle Peter or something. Uh, sorry, um, Uncle uh, Uncle Brian. Brian. Um, oh, I missed that. Sorry. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to circle back to is you mentioned the um, the sort of lack of, I mean, not lack of, but the sort of relatively tame nudity, and that's one of the interesting things about this movie because it has two versions. So there's the Italian version, which is the version that I think you probably watched. And there's what, mm-hmm. what there's the um, what's known as the X-rated US cut, which changes some plot elements, which I'll come to in a sec. But actually amps up the nudity quite a bit. Um, Interesting. So this is the American. This version. is the American cut. Yeah. So a lot of the scenes, um, so like the shower scene at the beginning with her and Peter, and then the scene of the two of them in the garden, um, all run a, a little longer with more nudity and then most of the shots from later on where you've got kind of carol baker and collect and kind of lounging around in bed where they're either covered by blankets or they have like uh you know lingerie on or whatever um they actually use alternate takes where they're naked so for 69 mm. it's quite a racy movie and especially for the u.s and a u.s film that's starring if not Someone who's like a big star was a big star, and perhaps you know, and is still like a, a known, like a name. Um, so it's quite, it's quite surprising for a film of its time in that sense. The other thing that the US cut does is it completely cuts out the husband murder subplot, which I guess, oh. yeah, which I guess makes Carol, uh, sorry, um, Catherine a more sympathetic character to an extent even though she's still kind of a bitch to everyone i mean the the, the way she treats you know the, the domestic help is noteworthily unpleasant um, she is I, I i mean i'd sort of forgiven that as sort of like well she's her husband's just died she's a bit but, the, but so in this her husband hasn't just died as far as we know yeah exactly well so right. he, he has died but there's no kind of subplot about her having done you know ha- having been involved in the death uh, okay so they mostly cut out the uh, the investigator with the club foot, except for the scene when he kind of shows up at the gates with you know with a uh, is he looking for a dog or something? Um, mm-hmm. Which cat? Cat, sorry. Which then kind of yeah. makes no sense, really, in the grand yes. scheme of the film. And then at the end, when they think they've got away with it, the very clearly Italian guy playing a uh, a constable who uh, comes up to Brian and says, "Excuse me, sir, what you wanted down at the yard." Uh, or whatever that is in Italian turns up, but then there's no subsequent scene where they explain that they that there's a suspicion around the husband's death and therefore they're not getting anything. And in fact, they have some quite pointed questions to answer. It's just that oh, well, somehow the police know that he's ki- he killed Catherine. They're both interesting. They're both they're both worth seeing, particularly because the English dub has Carol Baker's voice. So it's you know again the performance is a little more authentic probably in the english language version for her specifically but not for anyone else because they're all dubbed (laughs) um right yeah but yeah that that removal of that particular element kind of completely changes the the emphasis of the plot because obviously all the way through when she's kind of talking about how you know when he's like saying you're worthless and she's like yes i am worth you know the the kind of s&m masochistic side that she has is very much there is then no reason. I mean, not that there has to be a reason, but it's kind of, it, it works better when she's internalized all this guilt about the fact that she has actually murdered her husband, mm-hmm. um, which makes it a much more interesting kind of character, I think. So was always that a plan of of the director for the uh, for the US release, or did Lindsay have that, have that taken off him? Um, so the, clearly they shot the footage at the same time. I think they already had kind of, oh, a, of course, a, yes, yeah. yeah, I think they already had a, a US distributor in mind when the, the movie was being made. And I think the distributor requested that that's what they do. Lindsay kind of talked about not really liking that stuff, though other things that he did slightly belie that, I would say. But then again, as I said, he, he, Lindsay says a lot of things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. so 
um but yeah uh, and, and certainly some of his other jelly i mean like the the last jelly that he jello that he made with carol baker in 72 which is called knife of ice is a very atypical so all of the other ones they did together you know there's a fair amount of nudity and, and sexuality and that one doesn't really have any um so you know it's, it's remarkably chaste and and not really particularly kind of violent or gory either so it's just more of a straight mysteries but then subsequent to to that and i think leading more into the argento style he certainly does you know up the gore and the nudity in some of his later films and then of course he started making you know cannibal movies with animal snuff mm. so um yeah who knows <laughs> how was i mean um so actually before we get on to let's say how was the film received but before before we get on before we get onto that mm. um it was just simply a case of we're we're subverting expectations with the the US distributors wanting to push the sexual element more mm. and regardless of what stereotypical opinions we may have about uh, Italian cultural tastes Lenzi himself saying he didn't want that necessarily for the film but if that's what would work in the US then so it because that's not really what I expect particularly from the late 60s early 70s mm. America yeah I mean it, and it is you know it, it's x-rated you know there's a, you know, if you watch the US version they they blu-ray release they were very keen to kind of keep the x-rating title card on it because i think it was a bit of a a badge of honor you know so, so was the quatermass experiment in in britain but there's you know brandon levy doesn't get his tits out in that does he i mean that's a relief but uh <laughs> it's one of the only but, things that he doesn't that's, that's his sort of one good creative choice <laughs> well done val guest <laughs> um uh, but the, the the point being yeah was an x certificate that's that exceptional um, I don't know how exceptional it was. It was exceptional in the sense of, as I said, you know, Carol Baker was a known star uh, and her star had faded somewhat, but she had been in a somewhat notorious flop fairly soon before this. So she was in um, Harlow, which was the, the biopic of Jean Harlow, which was... That, which is a f- not, not, about the, not about the Essex Newtown. No, sorry. indeed. <laughs> Uh, which which was famously a huge bomb, right? But you know the fact about films which are huge bombs is while no one goes to see them, there's normally actually quite a lot written about them, uh, particularly about how they were a huge bomb. Usually, mm. uh, so she was certainly in you know the public imagination at the time, and she had been in you know some some really famous films, you know Elia Kazan's Baby Doll, um, which was sort of her big break, uh, and the carpet baggers which i think was like the 1950s but always kind of playing quite you know sort of sexually provocative roles for the era in which those films are made so i I guess the kind of pushing the envelope was was potentially what was expected of her but yeah i think i think the producers were just like look you know someone you've heard of you know in one of those dirty european films was probably quite a good selling point okay so yeah i suppose that's um i'm just i'm just curious as to the as to the politics um mm. of, of that but it, it works well but it, but i mean that's that's one aspect that's the that that's sort of like the the sexual aspect which is quite basic and and and, and shallow the mm. idea of playing down the idea that carol i suppose is it just to make to make carol's sorry catherine's character um less sort of ambiguous that they just want her more as a as a, as a victim is the reason that they play down the that they play down the uh the husband's the husband's death being suspicious i think i think that's exactly what it is yeah. uh the, the tendency with jally is if they are edited for international release uh it's usually because i think the distributors are worried that you know dumb americans won't get it i mean you know mm. the, the the u.s cut of all the colors of the dark is is famously all over the place because they kind of cut out the end so that the dream sequence where edwidge fennett gets like arrested and carried off is the end of the movie so there's no like right. mystery plot it's like this is a straight supernatural horror at the end um because the mystery twist where she maybe is a bit psychic that's apparently too confusing in a movie about satanic orgies and <laughs> yeah so I, that that would be my that would mean it is it is quite a confusing ending but it, it's yeah, quite, but, it's, yeah, yeah. but but it, it works with the yeah, with, with the general with the general uh feeling of it as well and you know uh as we've learned sometimes you just have to let them let, let these films wash over you and i suspect yeah. 
some audience, some mass audiences are, are, are not as good as that, or you know, some individuals aren't in mass audiences aren't as good as that as, as, as yeah. others. And they've already had a fairly major twist, I guess. So maybe they thought, you know, one twist yeah, too many. True. But that's actually what makes these films great, because when you're, you know, when you're reeling from the previous one, they're like, well, if you thought that was weird, <laughs> yes, yeah, indeed. And I was genuinely impressed by. I mean, not entirely surprised, but you know, um, by the by by Brian's Brian's betrayal, um, but pleasantly surprised by you know Carol killed her husband. That mm. was that was very good. Um, what do we know of the other cast? Uh, I mean the the names of the the names of the actors. Lou Castell. Uh, I'm assuming he's not Italian. Yes, or, or is, uh, he, is he Ameri- is he American? Uh, he's not. He's Swedish. Uh, he's, oh, of course, he wouldn't have been. He would have been dubbed otherwise. Sorry. Yeah, yeah um, no, known to his mum as Alf Corzell. Uh, and so he he like Lindsay and and uh, Lucio Fulci and I think probably a couple of other people we talked about was a uh, attendee of the Centro Spedimale di Cinema Cinematografia. Mm-hmm. Easy for you to say. Though he got kicked. You could have said it. <laughs> <laughs> Though he got kicked so, out apparently. Um, ah, okay. I don't know a ton about him, but he, he kind of goes on to work with people like you know Fassbinder, not Michael. Uh, you know, Chabrol, Vin, no, no. Vin Vendors, you know. And he's in the Cassandra Crossing, of all things. So, you know, he got around. Um, this is fairly early on in his career. Yeah, I, late in his career. I've, I've seen it, but I didn't I didn't recognise him. Uh, he's in he's in Home of Verb. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. he, he kind of worked in some, you know, this is this is probably one of the slightly less kind of cineast darling kind of productions that he did, really. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, he was, he's a, and he's very good at it. He's such a prick, mm. like, and it's like you absolutely hate him right from the off, which you're absolutely supposed, which you're absolutely supposed to. Mm. It was, it was a genuinely, genuinely good performance in that you really, really like. You know, he's he's rapey and pushy, and uh, and she she enables it. She's and as as we learn through it as well, through what we know about her husband, there's is there you know some some you know, project projection of guilt there. Mm. Uh, she just letting pure. Um, Sexuality take take over to the uh, is uh, happening to to her destruction, um, but he's very impressive in um, in a role that could easily easily be 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 ruined by a by a by a poor performance. I was very impressed. Yeah, and and it's fascinating. I mean, there's a couple of little moments in there where, the, particularly the scene when she goes to uh, Peter's apartment in Rome, and. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, so, so I'd mentioned that whilst Lindsay might not have been particularly forthcoming about it, there's a lot of uh, visual cues that I think kind of come directly from uh, Sweet Body of Deborah. Like he's got all this kind of pop art, you know, Batman stuff around yes, his apartment, yeah. and he's actually reading a Batman comic at one point uh, when uh, Terry, the housekeeper, is being sort of seen off. Um, he's kind of sitting on a a uh, sun lounger in the garden and he's reading a batman comic but yeah the scene in her in the apartment when she kind of goes to to see him uh and there's, there's a couple of bits in there which are not exactly subtle in their symbolism so he's got a naked female dressmaker's dummy that's wrapped in belts and chains um and then there's a couple of bits a couple of moments and it starts in this bit where carol baker's being shot through the bars of the bed as if they're the bars of a cage, and um, you know it's a it, it's a little on the nose, but it also works. So, but but I yeah, there's, there's a uh, a bit in the in that scene where um, he's talking about you know oh you, you know you you come off all, you know so so you know prim and proper, but you're you know just like the, all the girls I bring up here or something, and she's like oh I'm worse than all of them. Um, and and actually, the, when the yeah. landlord who's basically putting him up comes and throws them both out, he actually thinks she's a prostitute, which is kind of interesting, given that you know she's actually yes. you know this this sort of quite if not highborn, then certainly you know wealthy uh, you know in in the American way of thinking, an aristocrat because she's got a ton of money. How was the the film received? Um, it, yeah, it did very well. Uh, ah, interesting. Yeah, it, 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 to the point where. Uh, Lindsay and Baker, as I say, went on to do you know mm. another three uh, movies, and Baker did a few other jelly as well, and, and various other bits and pieces of kind of uh, Italian genre stuff and, and horror. Um, but you know, the, the one of the more notable ones she's in Baba Yaga, which is uh, sort of oh, supernatural yes, yes, horror. Sure, she yeah. plays uh, plays the witch Baba Yaga. Um, yeah, and you know, so it was very successful. And then you know, the subsequent year, and we'll we'll, we'll get onto this next week, but. Um, 
you know, Lucio Fulci's first Jallo is very much in this vein as well. In that kind of, it's it's a mystery rather than a you know a body count, uh, a body count and a mystery. It kind of made Lenzi in a way because I mean he'd done things before this, but I think this was like his big kind of breakthrough as a director, or right, certainly one of them. Right. So even though it it doesn't uh, follow the tropes of what becomes Jallo through its through the um, through but with the crystal plumage mm. uh, and that it was still it was still popular in itself oh yeah Not, it hasn't yeah it hasn't been like rediscovered or anything like that it was and was it was it um was it popular abroad um i think it did reasonably well um i think that you know the notoriety of the us version i don't really have any numbers on it but it certainly seems to have been you know as i said like baker was a name so you know it had it, it was released around the world it, you know it had it had an english version so that's generally a, a reasonably good sign and, and as were the subsequent uh baker lindsay jally as well um so yeah i think it did i think it did okay mm-hmm. i was i was trying to look up anything i knew from the uh the cinematographer um who i think is called um hang on gilema mancori um, because there's a, there was a couple of um, moments that I noted were were interesting. Now, as we all forms of of, of as, we, as we as we discover are generally very very stylish, hmm. um, but less about necessarily the, the the lighting. But there's a bit towards the end where Carol Baker, you know, is is very ill, and you know, maybe the make, the makeup sometime a bit on the nose as she becomes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It it in the end it looks like she's when in her actual death scene. It looks it looks a bit more like she's going to she's going she's going to an eighties punk party in terms of <laughs> eyeshadow, but it's meant to make her look gaunt. Yes, it's just the cam. It's not quite as sympathetic in the way it's in, in, in the way it's shot. It's obviously it's obviously makeup. Nevertheless, mm. if you go with it and show that she she's becoming increasingly pale, her lips are becoming increasingly blue. It's meant to it's it's a shortcut for she's dying. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. And there's there's a bit where she reaches she, for the for the whiskey, which is in, in a decanter. And the and the decanter is an extreme close up, mm. and her hand reaches reaches for it, and therefore her hand dwarfs the rest of her body as it closes on the decanter. And I thought that was that was an, that was an interesting choice. Mm. Um, and there's a bit where um, Colette Des Descom, Descom, how you yes. pronounce? Yep. Descom, yeah. They often shoot her in a really horror way, often uh, in dark, which contrasts a lot, as you know, with the with the the summary the summary scenes with um mm. she's in shadow but her her eyes uh, are shown in in light um mm. which 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 become which becomes a popular uh trope. i don't, I don't say no i'm saying it was, was was invented here but it was one of the earlier examples of something i've seen say particularly through through 80s horror um where you light the person's face but keep the, mm. light the person's eyes and the out surrounding but keep but keep keep the rest keep the rest of them dark and often with a with 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 a dark background i thought there were there was there were some interesting interesting um choices with uh with 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 with, with how this was shot um but i'd never i'd i had mm. a quick look at what else the uh uh senior mancordi had, had had done and uh nothing really struck me out as you know, um, black emmanuel too <laughs> uh, um, the Exorcist Italian style. Ah, oh, classics um, all. He's he's worked with Lindsay a number of times, as you, as you might expect. But the um, yeah, he's um, he he's he's had a he's 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 had an eclectic career, and it's a wonder. But I mean, you know, maybe, maybe he's just highly influenced by by others. Maybe he's um, um, just put on his work in that genre and work, works with, with what he's got. But I was I was impressed with his work. Yeah, I think like. Lenzi, he's a bit of a jobbing direct, a bit of a sort of jobbing cinematographer because that was, you know, Lenzi's very much Lenzi's career. You mm. know, he wasn't like a a specialist in any one genre. He did, uh, he, I mean, he's probably most famous apart from the Italian cannibal stuff for um, these movies, and he did a number of very successful uh, Poliziotteschi films. Um, so he's kind of noteworthy for, you know doing sort of cool action sequences and car chases and things that said uh, you know the sort of his jelly after this so once he kind of stopped working with baker are less essential um let's just say and particularly when he starts to lean into some of the argento influence stuff he's he's sort of yeah you can kind of tell he's not really feeling it okay. infamously as i said you know he he was always quite a fun interview but he had a, a lot of opinions um and what he he, he was quite kind of quick to 
sort of diss Argento because he kind of felt like you couldn't be an actual real filmmaker if you only worked in one genre, to, to which I would say make something as good as Deep Red and get back to me. But um, yeah. <laughs> um, one odd thing um, I found when um, when just sort of idly looking through for the um, uh, backgrounds that the um, that the, the 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 cast and all the the crew have the crew the crew have been in was mm. that um, Tino Caro or Tino Carraro, uh, the um, the guy who plays Brian, basically, mm. basically, he's in the Italian remake of A for Andromeda. <laughs> Is he by Jove? No, I didn't know. Th- I didn't know there was an Italian remake. Of, yeah. for, anyway, for anyone that doesn't know, A for Andromeda was a nineteen sixty one uh, BBC science fiction series, uh, which I think is all but all but lost. Um, but it was the BBC's big science fiction series pre Doctor Who and post post Greater Mass, um, uh, and was you know, highly influential and is often. Yeah. Uh, I think it was. I think it was Julie Christie's like first break, and yeah, ten years later, it was made for for a, for a te- for Italian television. Um, interestingly, as it was still set in in futuristic Britain, but in, entirely filmed in, in in Italy with an Italian cast. That's really interesting because there's also there's a I, I forget the name of it, but there's a movie that I've been trying to get my hands on for a while, which is kind of like the Italian remake of Quatermass, basically. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, I, I will. I will pull out the details and and send it to you but because it's a it's a movie so it's kind of riffing on the Quatermass movies rather than the show oh i see but, right in the way it, that in the way that life force does yeah 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 okay. well no okay. i think it's you know it's, it's sort of 19 it's either late 50s or early 60s so it oh, is okay. very you oh, know it, it's right. like quite deliberately because maria barber worked on it that's the only reason why i i know it um, but it's not something that's sort of super widely available, but I'm sure it's out there in some form. That'll, um, that'll be something we, we, we might cover on Birdcast then. Yeah, but but it's kind of, it's it's fascinating to me because it kind of brings me back to your question about what, was anyone in Italy aware of Doctor Who in the 60s? And it's like, well, clearly they were aware of some stuff, so why not that as well? Yeah, I'm not sure how... I mean, I mean in terms of... I mean, we'll be talking films here, and I'm assuming... Mm. Uh, that that Hammer or Exclusive uh, had some level of distribution in, in Europe. Mm. Uh, Very with much that, so. with, with that as well. I don't think I don't think anyone's going to necessarily have seen the TV serials. But yeah, the idea of well, we've, we've already mentioned, you know, the Exorcist Italian style, and I'm not going <laughs> I'm not going to look that up because I've got an idea of what it is in my head and it can't be beaten. Um, <laughs> only, yeah. only, only, only disappoint. So I'm, but, I've, i so I've, you know. I've no doubt that uh, uh, depending on, how, on what they do with it, but a riff on the uh, a riff on the um, uh, human returning from space as as, mm. as, 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 as as possessed. Who knows? Maybe I mean like the the thing you you I always bemoan from the from the hammer quatermass experiment is they lose uh, the fact that um, that Kartz and, and Rackenheim are absorbed into um, Karun. Hmm. Uh, so where Karun starts talking German, even though he doesn't speak it, because because Rackenheim speaks German, where he's got you know the, the, if he's got, Karun has the fingerprints of the other characters, they've been absorbed. The film assumes that, and, and it's hmm. just that it just destroys the other the the the, the other characters. But um, I'm always curious to see overseas remakes of, hmm. of, of of those sorts of things because they often touch on different different cultural points. Um, that was there. So um, yeah, do do find that. Uh, that yeah. would be, yeah. Maybe all Italy got was the uh, Aru Productions Peter Cushing films, and they were like, "Should we remake these?" Nah. Oh, are you thinking that's what <laughs> the, their experience of their experience of Doctor Who was? <laughs> that's how that's how they they found Doctor Who and then left it again. <laughs> um, I mean, there's some countries that you never really associate, particularly in in, in Europe, with with weird. Anglophonic, it's like Doctor Who in Holland, and I'm talking, I'm talking classic Doctor Who, not mm. uh, not, not the new series, which is, I assume, much more, uh, m- m- much more accessible. But for convenience sake, I, I forget the reason why now. Uh, they showed season 19, Peter Davison's, um, Peter Davison's first f- f- first series, and they swapped around Black Orchid uh, and Earthshock, so they ended with Black Orchid rather than Earthshock, which means Adric's alive two episodes after he was after he was killed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, Adric's died in a really horrible way. Oh, there he is stuffing his face in a buffet <laughs> in 1925. Uh, yeah. um, Adric's as... gone to live on a farm, sorry. <laughs> With lots of room to run around. Yeah, do you know, um, 
I'm guessing, and I, I, I don't know without research, but I imagine for many years the Aru Dalek films would would be the only um, uh, would be the only experience they have. There was a lot. There was a breakout when Tom Baker uh, was the Doctor. They sold a lot more series when Tom Baker was the Doctor. Uh, mm. But even so, uh, I'm going to guess that uh, they would have seen. They would have had the Dalek stories um, before, before, before. Oh, that's right. Now I, now I remember not anything specific about dates or anything, but I've seen an Italian poster for Dalek's Invasion Earth 250 AD, and mm. it almost entirely concentrates uh, on on Jill. <laughs> yes, uh, well, that's a very Italian yeah, approach. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Um, not, I mean, it's somewhat of a surprise to have Robo. Generally, in the poster, the Robo Men feature 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 more heavily yeah. um, than, than, than than the Daleks do, and let alone the Doctor. Um, sorry, Jill uh, Louise. Sorry, is the character Jill Curzon is the is the is, is the. But you know the uh, the uh, the sexy female lead, the companion Louise, mm. the Doctor's the Doctor's granddaughter. Not 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 Susan, not the child. Sorry, the Doctor's niece. That's the, the older, the basically the the romantic lead star character. But yeah, they yes. almost the poster almost entirely concentrates on her. And right in the bottom, there's some men fighting what what we know are Daleks, but probably the Italians <laughs> have no real idea uh, what. Uh, yeah. And there's a big spaceship coming into coming into that, which looks like nothing. Looks like nothing in the film. But that's like that was the most Italian thing I could think of. Yeah, don't worry, there's some girls in it. Was <laughs> <laughs> we've got rather off the subject. Sorry, we have gone off the subject. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, all th- all because Tino uh, Cario was in the re- was in the Italian remake of of A for Andromeda. I really want to see now. Yes, <laughs> uh, well, if that survived, I mean. The British one's almost, almost, almost entirely gone. But let's see if we can find the Italian, find yeah. the Italian one. Yeah, he's also in um, Cat of Nine Tails, which is oh okay, uh, Argento's, Argento's follow up to Bird of Crystal Plumage, right? Uh, which is kind of an interesting movie. Not not one of his best, but but certainly an interesting one. Yeah, and Colette Descombe basically played this kind of role. She didn't have a, a very long career, and she tended to play kind of slightly sexy Rongans who was not averse to taking off a shirt periodically so that i'm assuming she's i'm assuming she's french she is french yeah 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 so i i think she's great in this i really like her character and i i I love you know the the sort of look between the two of them because she has that very uh sort of late 60s very close cropped hair uh in contrast Mm, to in contrast to catherine's uh much more blonde uh you know sort of more classic hairstyle and and there's a a terrific and she's dark scene as well. She's dark haired. She's dark haired well. rather yeah, than light headed. And, and there's a terrific scene where, a, a sort of as part of Catherine is, you know, because because it's when she's talking to them, you know, she, it's all about her kind of rediscovering this this youth that she thinks she's lost. And there's one scene where she's wearing a wig, which is very much like oh yes, Eva's yes. hair. Yeah. yeah, and then. As as with most of the scenes in this part of the movie, they're having this great, you know, sexy drunken time, and then usually uh, Peter will say something awful, and it will turn into a fight, and she sort of then kind of puts the wig away and, and doesn't come back to it. And I think that's actually the, the moment when she goes to I don't know, sort of apologize or whatever, and sees the two of them in bed together and realizes that. A, they're probably not actually siblings, or B, if they are, then shit's gone really wrong. Oh my god, they're from Norfolk. <laughs> it's even worse. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, again, some of the slightly on the nose, you know, work from Lindsay. That the the scene where they actually have uh, the threesome, and and even, I mean, I guess even with the kind of fairly explicit sexuality of the film for the time, they don't, you know, they can't really show them having like a full on threesome. No. So they do this kind of trippy montage where there's various, you know, kind of psychedelic elements, but there's a uh, blonde doll. Um, oh yes, they, yeah, with uh, yeah, uh, and and a very diamante collared, you know, sort of long haired cat. So basically, it's like a a broken blonde doll and an expensive pussy, which you know is I think is Lindsay at his his most literal. <laughs> wow, yes, that I, sh- I should have watched it more than once. Yeah. it's worth revisiting. It does it does reward watching a couple of. You know, um, well, I also might have to watch, to watch the the English language version. I'm just usually um, it's it's mm. uh, watching a dubbed film. I find I find very off putting. Um, if I don't have to, if they're all, if they're if they're if they're alternatives, but yes, mm. um, 
A Broken Doll and an Expensive Pussy. An alternative title for the film. For the film. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't call it that, actually. Yes. yes a, and, and, a couple of years later, they absolutely would have. <laughs> In fact, I think I probably have Broken Doll, Expensive Pussy somewhere. <laughs> the, the Steelbook version. Yeah, the Steelbook version. Not that you've version, watched yeah. any of the, of the ones you've bought, but that's not really... <laughs> Where are we going next? Well, we're kind of staying very much in this vein uh, for our next movie. So uh, we are going to Lucio Fulci and his first Jello, so predating Don't Torture a Duckling. And it is a film variously known as uh, Perversion Story or One on Top of the Other. Oh, my God. So no great improvement in the title, unfortunately. (laughs) One on Top of the Other. I could have. (laughs) I'm not gonna. I, I like also not looking up the film before I before I yeah. dive dive, dive straight in and only searching for for, for details afterwards. Um, brilliant. Well, uh, this was uh, a real education. Uh, this 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 film was. It's um, again. It's a, I think a, a good example of how expectation can be fundamental to reception. But uh, I'm mm. glad I stuck with it. My initial thought was this is quite slow. When's because I'd already been slightly indoctrinated into. When's when's a woman going to get problematically stabbed? Uh, come on, <laughs> yeah, then. Right. Um, rather than expecting uh, a slow build-up, well-layered, uh, well-plotted piece with just enough with just enough clues to keep you guessing, but keep you keep keep you keep you intrigued. And the more and the, and the more I watched, the more I enjoyed it. Uh, and if you if you haven't watched the film and you've you've listened to, to the end of this podcast, I'm so sorry we've ruined the shit out of the film the film for you. But it was really good. Uh, I yeah. promise you. Yeah, we and liked it, it. Yeah, we liked it. We, we we liked it very much. And if you've just started the podcast for some reason, accidentally skipped this bit, stop listening now uh, and go and go and watch the film. You won't regret it. I promise. Well, I'm not going to promise. You probably won't regret it. I I thought it was good. And once again, although we didn't really talk about it, the one scene of the Scotland Yard detective uh, <laughs> who, who has. Who has the Houses of Parliament in his window, just so you know exactly where where where, where you are? And it also means that it's that he looks more like it's eighteen sixty nine than nineteen. It's a magnificent <laughs> moustache. This is what Brits look like to the Italians. Yep. Yeah. It's glorious. At least it's not raining. Yeah, that's true. Actually, it's very. Yeah. And they did they did definitely shoot some of that in Windsor, so they picked a nice day for it. Oh, you know what? Uh, someone dies in a car crash right outside the house of Windsor. Ah. There's a conspiracy th- that I <laughs> This film foretells... No, I don't. It's 1969. Uh, the year, 1969, the year Prince Charles was crowned as Prince of Wales in Carnarvon Castle. It's all connected. Look at that. Look at what, look at what I've done. David Icke. Eat your heart out. <laughs> on that bombshell thank you until very much. next time until next thank time you. thank you thank you for listening next time we're on a much classier track with Lucio Fulci's perversion story oh dear oh well we hope you'll join us then goodbye